The scripture reading this morning comes to us from Daniel chapter 8, verses 15 to 27. It's the reading of God's word. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli. And I called Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and then he came. And I was frightened. I fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressions have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. He shall cause fearful destruction, shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The visions of the evening and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I arose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision, and I did not understand it. Amen. That's a reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Father, we pray, God, for uh, for your people in midst of many uncertainties. And we pray, God, that your word would be our guide. It would be our flashlight during dark times. Your spirit would illumine your words to be bright and beautiful and true. Help it be, be the treasure that we need, the encouragement uh, for our spirit. Bless this, bless, bless this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be back here with you all. I took a, a bit of a break speaking. I hope that you enjoyed all the speakers that we've had. Starting next week, we, we are going to be back live at the art chair. I'll be there speaking to you live from the art chair. We look forward to that. And hopefully that's a, a bit of a segue to some sort of in-person service. And we'll be talking about that in the weeks to come. But before my break, we're going through a series of sermons on Daniel, and I want to continue that series today. Before we broke, um, we covered the first half of Daniel, and the first half of Daniel is filled with uh, these these inspirational stories of Daniel and his friends standing up to the king, to the emperor. We saw them walking through the fire, surviving a lion's den, and these were amazing, beautiful stories about Daniel and his friends were in exile, living faithfully for God. The second half of Daniel is really different. I just touched on that uh, last the last time I preached. The second half of Daniel is very different. Uh, it's filled with all of these mysteries, these visions, uh, these prophecies. A lot of them involve things, metaphors. They're lions, they're bears, they're horns, they're goats. 
and they are mystical. They are uh, difficult to understand. And that's why a lot of uh, Christians, a lot of pastors, they and Daniel after Daniel in the lion's den. They don't go any further than that because Daniel 8 to the very end of Daniel chapter 12 is perplexing. It's difficult. It's filled with all these strange images. So why are we looking at that passage? Why are we not skipping over that? Why are we going to look at Daniel to the end? And I do want to look at all of Daniel because the last half of Daniel specifically is important because I believe it's very relevant for us today. The last half of Daniel is all about peeling back the curtains and it shows us this uh, world in which things are chaotic, there's violence, things are spinning out of control. Uh, we see chaos, we, we see confusion. And it's relevant for us today because we're living in a time when things are chaotic. A lot of people are confused. We don't know what is happening. But the book of Daniel, the last part of Daniel is important, not just because it reflects our time, but it gives us hope. Daniel, the last part of Daniel, is all about the idea that even though things are chaotic and things seem to be spinning out of control, that God is faithful. That it, God is ultimately controlling. He's ordaining all of those things. And the end of Daniel gives us hope that we can live and even thrive in the midst of those things. Today we're going to look at this idea of living in chaotic times. We're going to look at even in midst of chaos, when things seem to be upside down, we can know God's presence. We can know His plan. And we can know His power is with us. So today as we look at this idea of chaos, we're going to look at three ideas. One, the problem of chaos. Secondly, finding meaning in chaos. And finally, the end of all chaos. Those three things. First thing we're going to be looking at is the problem of chaos. If you've just joined us, where uh, we've been looking at the book of Daniel, and I've been preaching out of it uh, most of this year, and the theme of Daniel's life in the first seven chapters is uh, dreams. Daniel has a lot of dreams. He has dreams himself, which he's able to interpret, but he's also able to interpret other people's dreams. And that's a big theme in the first half of Daniel. When you flip over to Daniel 8 to 12, it shifts from dreams to visions. What's the difference? There are subtle differences between them. Dreams have to do with someone who's asleep. Visions happen when Daniel was awake. Dreams are about situations in which Daniel himself is present in. These visions have to do with things in the future that will not involve Daniel. In Daniel 8 to 12, it, uh, Daniel 8 starts off with another vision. And in this vision, um, what we see is that uh, Daniel has a vision of a future time of a different place. I didn't read this part, the first part of Daniel 8, but this is the first two verses. In the year of the king, reign of King Belshazzar, vision appeared to me. Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first, and I saw the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Uli Canal. 
Daniel is transported in this vision from Babylon where he's at to Elam. Elam is, it will become the capital of the Persian Empire. And he's given this powerful events that things will, of things that will take place in the distant future. In this vision, he sees a ram on the bank of a canal. This ram has two horns. Horns in the Bible, specifically in Daniel, are signs of power, of military strength. And this ram has two horns, so he's powerful. It says in verse 4, no beast can stand before him. He is the king of the hill, this ram. But in verse 5, a challenger emerges. There is a ram who has a powerful horn between his eyes. This ram, this goat rather, uh, it's a male goat in verse 5, it charges at the ram and it tramples, it, it hits uh, this ram and this goat tramples on the ram and it emerges victorious. This goat becomes the goat, the greatest of all time. This goat is the king of the hill. He's powerful. He's triumphant. But suddenly, this goat's power vanishes instantly, seemingly, out of nowhere. In verse 8, it says, Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. First, there was this... Uh, a ram that's powerful. It's supplanted by this goat. And now this goat, his power diminishes. And these four horns, these four powers emerge. A little horn becomes a great horn or a great power. And it reigns supreme over everyone. And this, this man, this person, this power uh, overtakes everything. It desecrates the temple. It stops all the burnt offerings. It persecutes, it destroys, it it creates disinformation. What is this vision about? Uh, later on, Daniel is told that these rams and goats, they represent specific nations and kings. Uh, they represent empires that will rise and fall. All these things will happen in the future. And we're going to examine them more closely later. But for now, I want us for us to think about is that this vision is in many ways a reflection of our world today. Uh, it's a reflection of all of these nations that are war with each other. There's all this, there's a grab, a thirst for power to be on top. There is exploitation happening. There is religious persecution. You know, we live in a time of geopolitical instability. United States, China, Russia, North Korea. There's all kinds of tensions, a desire for control. Uh, we live in time, even apart from geopolitics, where people are thirsty for power. They abuse their power through things like sexism or racism. There's religious persecution all over the world. There are martyrs, maybe more martyrs today than any time in church history. We are seeing this vision being played out today. At the end of the vision, there's a powerful force that emerges who throws truth to the ground. He throws the truth to the ground. He manipulates. He disseminates misinformation. And we're living in a time now 
when there's so much misinformation. There's a lot of fake news. People don't know who to trust anymore. Who is telling the truth? Daniel tells us that we're living in a world that's off-center. We're living in a world that's dis, that is disordered. There was a uh, Nigerian author, Chinua Achibe. He wrote a classic novel called Things Fall Apart. And in this novel, it follows the life of a local Nigerian man, Akonkwe. And he is hes hardworking, he's strong, he's intelligent. But his life turns when he loses his son. His son is murdered. Uh, he goes away from his hometown, but when he comes back, colonialists have taken over his town. His tribe is struggling. They are divided. And the title of this novel is Things Fall Apart. And this is an apt title for how things are going right now. Things have fallen apart. Things are bleak. Things are broken. Uh, when you look at uh, when you look at the media today, when you look at movies, music, art, it's filled with these this idea that things are broken. Things are not the way they should be. But a lot of non Christians they would say they would echo that, but they would say life is there's an, there's no hope, there's no order, there's no meaning. And is that true? You know, there's a late, the late great Christian uh, uh, writer uh, who passed away recently, Rabbi Zacharias, and he tells this. He talks about the musician and philosopher John Cage. John Cage is a he is a musician. He's a philosopher, but he tried to to do innovative things with his music that really reflected his philosophy. So he believed that you know life is discordant, it is often random, it doesn't make sense. So he would record songs with uh, clashing cymbals, discordant sounds, things that didn't sound pleasant. He wrote an entire song called Chance, and he wrote this song and he composed it entirely using chance procedures. He'd flip a coin to determine what the next note would be. He'd use all these chance procedures to write a song. And what he was trying to express through his music was that, you know, life is random. Life doesn't make sense. Uh, there's no center. There's no, there's no uh, theme in life. And his music, his art reflected that. But Ravi Zacharias, he talks about Cage and he says that you know he wasn't consistent with his philosophy. In fact, you can't really live that philosophy out. Uh, Zacharias noted that Cage loved, he had a garden, and he collected and he ate mushrooms. Uh, some were poisonous, some were edible. Cage was a Cage knew the difference between those. And Zacharias asks Cage, you know, this whole idea of randomness, this whole, whole idea of disorder, he says, do you apply that to the mushrooms you eat? Do you, do you just randomly select the mushrooms? Everything is random, there's no order, there's no structure, there's no process. Do you also do that with your mushrooms? And of course, Cage would answer, no, he doesn't. 
And Zacharias was saying the idea is that even though we believe, non-Christians believe that there's no order, things are centered, things are ugly, we can't live like that. That all of us, whether we're Christian or non-Christians, we have a desire that even in the midst of this ugliness and chaos, we have a desire and a belief even that there is an order, there is a beauty, there is a theme in this world in spite of all those things, that we're searching for meaning. And as Christians, we believe that there is meaning, even in the midst of the chaos. That's the second point. Daniel sees all of these chaotic scenes, and he's trying to make sense of it. He's like a lot of us today. We see chaotic scenes, and we need an explanation. That's why in verse 15 it says this, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and I called out, Gabriel, make the man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Daniel sees this vision, he's confused. These grams, these goats, uh, this really powerful form of evil, and he doesn't understand what is this all about. So Daniel is given instruction. Uh, this one who looks like a human being tells Gabriel the angel to explain it all. And Daniel is given understanding. Right now we are living in a time where we don't really understand what is happening. I don't understand what is happening. It's a massive pandemic that's shut down so much of our country. There is a lot of chaos all around. There's a lot of divisions. And we have questions. What, what does this all mean? We need understanding. And that's why we need to hear from God. That's why we need God's revelation. We need God's light and His truth to shine upon us. We, like Daniel, need to hear from God. So what does God say? Uh, God gives him the big picture. You know, at the end of this uh, vision, there is this, uh, there is this man uh, who defies God. Who sets himself up as a false god, another god. Uh, he persecutes God's people. Everything has gone upside down. He shuts the temple down, desecrates it. And someone called a holy one, he begins to question God in this vision. This is verse 13. And I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that make, that makes desolate, and giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? This, this saint, who is a stand-in for us, asked God, How long, God? How long is this, this evil going to last? How long is this chaos going to reign? And don't we ask that same questions? Sometimes in our life we go through difficult things. You might have lost your job during this pandemic. You might be in a marriage that is difficult. You might have a sickness in your family. And you might ask God the same question, which is, how long? How long, God, is this, this going to last? How long is this, this pandemic going to last? How long am I going to suffer? 
that phrase, how long, is actually repeated all throughout the Psalter. And it's a form of lament. And lament is a really healthy way to respond to God in midst of suffering and difficulty. In his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Mark Vragapa says that to cry is human, to lament is Christian. He says that lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. He says that uh, from his own life, he says that his wife, him and his wife were trying, had various, had multiple miscarriages. And they were trying, they were praying, they were asking God for a child. Uh, they heard good news that his wife was pregnant again and was carrying their baby uh, to a late term. And they were hopeful. They were excited. This is the baby that they had hoped for. But in that same ultrasound room, when they were there countless times before, uh, the wife, this husband, heard the news that they had lost their child. On the way home, his wife prayed, God, I know you're not mean, but it feels like you are today. God, I know you're not mean, but it, it feels like you're mean. It's a prayer of lament. You know, sometimes we don't understand why. And all of the Bible tells us that we are, we should, in fact, offer up our lament to God, our questions to God, our frustrations. Instead of bottling them up, bring them before God. The saint asked the question, why? Why is there suffering? Why is there this chaos? How does God answer? How does God answer? God gives them an answer. God answers Daniel and all of his questions. Many of it, not all of it. And he shows them that the kings, that their rise and fall, that's ordained by God. God raises up kings. He casts them down. Even the king of bold face. There's a king of bold face who rises up against God. Even his days are numbered. Notice in verse 14 it says that the number of days that this man is allowed to defame God is 2300 evenings and mornings. It's a very specific number. God says to Daniel, this man is allowed to defame God for exactly 2300 days and evenings. And what is that about? It's that idea that though God allows this evil and the suffering, He has limited it. It has a specific number. 2300 days, not, not an unlimited, not an unknown quantity, but it's very specific. And what is that idea of that? The idea is that God behind the scenes is control of, is in control of all things. He does allow these things and the suffering and the chaos for a limited time and for a specific purpose. A limited time and a specific purpose. All throughout the Bible, God tells his people to expect trouble. You are to expect trouble. But in midst of that, I'm in control of that. I limit it and I'll help you overcome it. In the book of 1 Peter, 
uh, chapter 4, Peter writes to a church that's suffering. They're going through some hard things. And he tells the Christians not to be alarmed as if something strange is happening. Paul went through suffering and trial. Jesus did. All of the disciples did. The church has always lived and thrived in the midst of persecution. But they all endured it. They all overcame it. And Peter says that they were purified by it. God has a specific plan for your life and your pain in this coronavirus uh, moment. God has a specific number of days when this virus will be allowed to run rapid. I don't know that number, but God does. It's a specific number. He specifically limits it. And knowing that, we are to live then faithfully. We are then to live confidently as God's people in the midst of those things. But here's the last thing. Ultimately, uh, we live faithfully in those times of chaos, but we live with hope because this is the last point. There is the end. There is an end to all the chaos. In the Pulitzer Prize winning novel, A Visit from the Goon Squad, there's a character in Jennifer Egan's novel. He's an off-center character named Jules. He's about to go to prison. And he says, sure, everything is ending, but not yet. Sometimes in life, everything seems like it's ending. Things seem bleak. But the Bible says, not yet. It's not over yet. Here in this vision, there seems to be bleakness and darkness, but not yet. There is an end. I talked about the structure of Daniel. One to seven has to do with Daniel, the lion's den, his life, his earthly life. But Daniel eight to twelve is about what's behind all of that—a spiritual war, world, a spiritual battle. And the 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 good news is that behind everything in this world, there is a sovereign God and His plan and His power. That God is intimately involved in everything that happens on earth. And in, in spite of what looks like chaos, in the back, ultimately, is the power and the presence of God. And He will finally and ultimately defeat all evil and bring order to chaos. In verse 25, this is what we see. By His cunning, He shall make deceit prosper under His hand. And in His own mind, He shall become great. With that warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of pieces, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. There's a cycle of world leaders. There's a cycle of empires that rise and that they fall. They will emerge a final evil in the form of a what looks like a person, and he is going to trample on God's people. He is going to, for a limited time, defy God. Uh, what is this, this final piece about, this final picture? You know, apocalyptic literature is um, it's difficult. It's filled with these images. It's puzzling. It's filled with these puzzle pieces. It's like being in an escape room. Uh, last year, before the uh, pandemic, I went to an escape room. My daughter, my oldest daughter, loves escape rooms. It was a Western-themed escape room. It had an elaborate setup with a Western theme. And you can only progress in the escape room by solving riddles, puzzles. The, 
you have to look at everything in the room. You have to examine it all in order to get to the next step, and then you have to put it all together. You know, this uh, passage, January 8, is like an escape room. There are all kinds of clues, but it's hard to get it together. What is it really about? Apocalyptic literature, it makes you ask questions. You have to read it multiple times. There are images which can mean multiple things. What is it really ultimately about? How is Daniel 8 ultimately fulfilled? Well, scholars almost universally agree that this passage was fulfilled 400 years after Daniel. In the 2nd century BC, there would be a man named Antiochus IV. And he called himself God. In fact, archaeologists have found coins with his image with stars and the title God. He also desecrated the temple in 167 BC. He desecrated the, the temple. He stopped all sacrifices. He set himself up as God, destroyed the temple, this prophecy. Ultimately, he was driven, though, from power. He drowned himself in the sea. But is this passage ultimately about something that happened in the second century BC? Or is it ultimately about something future, something final? Uh, what the, one of the clues, like an escape room, one of the clues is verse 17. Uh, the angel tells Daniel that this vision is about things concerning the end or the end times. This is a passage ultimately about the end times. How do we know that definitively, certainly? Let's ask Jesus. You know, what does Jesus say? He does reference specifically this passage. And that's why it's important to know Daniel. Because um, Jesus shows us the fulfillment of it. Matthew 24, 15 to 16, Jesus says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. We understand now. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. In this passage, Jesus is talking about the apocalypse, the end time suffering, and he says, this is a fulfillment from the prophet Daniel, this desolation, the desecration of the temple. Uh, he explains this apocalyptic theme of the world finally ending, but then he leaves us with hope. He says this in Matthew 24, 30-31, Then it will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus, using the language of Daniel, calls himself the Son of Man. This is the phrase Daniel uses in Daniel 7 and 8. Jesus says, I'm the Son of Man. And in the midst of this bleakness of end times, I'm going to come on a cloud. I'm going I'm to, from the four corners, take all my people. I will rescue them. Uh, ultimately, this picture of end times ends in Revelation. Revelation shows us the, the final, the end, and how Jesus makes everything new. Jesus brings all things together. I love this, this picture in Revelation 7, 9. 
It says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. You know, in this world there is chaos, but in heaven there's going to be music. In this world there's division, there's racial division, class divisions, but in heaven all the tribes and tongues and peoples are going to be gathered together. And who does all that? What is that all about? And they're going to be singing about Jesus. He is the Lamb of God. You know, in Daniel... Uh, the bad news is that there's this be this terrible ruler who desecrates the temple, who stops all the sacrifices. But that will end. You know, Jesus is the final sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice. Jesus is the true temple of God who has come to live with us forever. And in Jesus, he has undone all the works of evil. In Jesus, we are forgiven. In Jesus, all that is evil, including death and sin, is undone. In Jesus, all the disorder is ordered. Come to Him. He is the King. He is the one that makes peace. He is our salvation. He is our hope. He is the one who will come to make all things right. Trust Him. Love Him. Come to Him. You know, as we close, I want to end with a verse in First Peter. First Peter was written, as I said before, to exiles. People were being persecuted. They're going through difficult things. This is what Peter says in First Peter 5, verse 10 to 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever amen no matter what you're going through this season hear the promise of God he's going to comfort you he's going to restore you he's going to confirm you he will strengthen you through this season to God be the glory forever and ever amen please join me in prayer Father God, we give you thanks that in the midst of a lot of chaos, God, that you are, you have limited it. It's for a specific time. Thank you that ultimately you will make all things right and all things new. So help us to live now faithfully. Help us in the midst of panic to be people of peace. Help us in the midst of a, a world and culture that is pessimistic to be filled with your hope. Fill us with your spirit. Sanctify us through all hard things. Make us wholly yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.